Hey everyone, this is James from Film to Film bringing you another part of the Lao Karlong project. Today I am talking about a very good film, a film that I like quite a good deal, Dirty Huh from 1979. We will definitely be talking about the name in just a little bit, about how it partially does it a service and partially how it does it a huge disservice. Um, so yeah, you can contact us at zafilm2film at gmail.com as well as tweet at us at zafilm2film. Uh, this is just a little project that I'm doing kind of in between, hopefully, uh, episodes that I'm able to reconnect with Inyaki um, and do some of those. So real quickly, we'll get into a synopsis and then why to watch this film and a little bit of background. So here is your synopsis. An undercover Manchurian prince travels to the south and uses a common thief to fight against political machinations from his own family. Okay, yeah, real quick synopsis there. Um, the plot is definitely not the central part or the reason to watch this film, um, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. So why would you watch this film? This film is not high on kind of the Lao Kar Long characteristics or themes that we've seen in a couple of our other films. So like the teacher-student um, discipleship, as well as like elaborate training, uh, things like uh, Executioners from Shaolin and 36 Chambers both had that. And this film, to be clear, does have a little bit of that. That. But really the reason to watch this film is because of the extremely creative fights and the varied choreography that often uses a number of different props and people. And I think it, this is one of the most intricately and elaborately designed films um, that, uh, in terms of just fighting and how it is set up uh, that Lao Kar Long does. And I think it's really a showcase. I think personally that these fights are amongst the best Um period, but of the era, certainly. And I think they stand out today and they hold up really, really well. Um, we talked a little bit about how the 36 Chambers of Shaolin, while an amazing training film, uh, the fights are, um, while very good, are not quite, um, they, they don't stand out in the same way. The reason to watch that film is not necessarily the fights. This, on the other hand, is the inversion of that, where the fights are, in my opinion, absolutely jaw-dropping, and they are some of the fights that give me the most awe, and you would really get a lot of that feeling in kind of the, the falling era that would follow kind of this traditional martial arts with people like Sammo Hung and Jackie Chan really doing crazy stuff uh, in the 80s and, and the 90s. Uh, but this film, I think, gives me that same feeling, but the difference is it's not going extremely over the top. It's just in kind of like how it is so choreographed and performed um, and just all the little details uh, that goes in there. I think it really, really is very, very wonderful. So the choreography, I would say, is the number one reason to watch this film. And of course, Lao Karin Long got to start as a choreographer. So that's an important, um, important piece um, and certainly something that he is the director and the martial arts choreographer is bringing to the table. Um, this really is a look at what I can do movie. If you look at what other people were doing at the time, people like Jackie Chan um, had gotten his start really the year earlier, Snake and Eagle Shadow, Drunken Master, um, but uh, Zhang Chur, um, kind of the previous collaborator with Lao Kai Long, uh, did uh, Crippled Avengers um, just the previous year too. And for me at least, I like to compare those two films because I feel like this film, particularly some of the fights at the end, but there's even in parody in the beginning, uh, really um, where uh, Lao Kar Long kind of looks at what Zhang Zhe does and says, look at what I can do in terms of my fights. You might have all these Peking um, opera acrobats and things like that doing flips, but I can, I can, I can one-up you basically. 
And in my opinion, he absolutely does. Um, this is definitely one of my personal favorite Shaw Brothers films. I watched this film for the first time in 2009, and I really enjoyed it then. Um, so it's been a joy to come back to it uh, last couple of years with the new Arrow coming out. Really happy they featured this film. I think it's definitely one of the, uh, if you're picking four or five Lau Karen Long films, which I did for this project, I think this is one of the ones to watch for sure. I wouldn't necessarily say it's um, uh, the first one that you should watch. I think 36 Chambers probably still... Uh, sits there but personally I, I like this film just as much as 36 chambers um it is also a bit of an unspoilable movie so much so that Lau Kar Lung who is famous for kind of his credits uh sequences and demonstrations um during the film here he does the same thing uh, that he does in those ones but he basically spoils the entire plot uh in the credit sequence so it's a uh he tells you the plot ahead of time so it's a completely unspoilable movie in that sense too but i think you'll discover if you watch this film it's really not about the plot and things like that nothing is over explained the plot has a very light hand and just sort of lightly guides the film uh, from fight sequence to fight sequence. It's really the choreography and the different performers that make this film what it is. Okay, so a little bit about the name. So Dirty Hu, um, and it's spelled H-O, but really it, the name is pronounced uh, Hu, uh, certainly in Mandarin, I think, uh, which I'm more familiar with. Um, so it's a, uh, it was um, created um, kind of uh, because Dirty Harry was a big thing at the time, and it was really kind of a boneheaded idea. Uh, while it is eye-catching, and people will certainly be like, oh, what's that movie about? Um, it does not really suit the film at all. Um, so while it might get a few extra eyeballs on it, um, I don't think it's a good title uh, for the name. Uh, it, it's also pronounced huh. Uh, so um, really nothing to do with uh, what us Westerners would see uh, when we see that name. So I think it does it a bit of a disservice so much so that I feel like people are hesitant to even make content about this. When I was looking up podcasts, I found uh, a lot less uh, about this particular film than other ones. And I think a good reason for that is probably because, uh, because I don't want this to happen to me either, is because uh, the name. <laughs> you might, you might, uh, you don't want your podcast to be sent to oblivion if you get earmarked as a category of an item that you are definitely not. And I don't want that to happen either, so much so that I'm probably going to call this uh, title, the title of this podcast episode, Dirty Huh with an E, uh, just to avoid that, even though it's suboptimal because that's not actually how the name is supposed to be spelled. So this kind of comes in um, the uh, sort of the Lau Kar Lung's second or third uh, or fourth features that people will have heard of. There's about 4,600 people that have viewed this on Letterboxd. That's in comparison to the 29,000 for uh, 36 Chambers, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, and about eight or 9,000 for Eight Diagram Pole Fighter. So it's in kind of that next range. Um, and while that's good, because that is amongst his next four or fifth uh, watched films, I think it should definitely be seen by more people. I think this is absolutely a very enjoyable feature. I think in particular for those that even like kind of those classical musicals and just seeing uh, different people move around um, and coordinated bodies, I think this is the best uh, Lau Kar Long film for that, just because you have quite a, certainly quality, but an in quantity too. There's uh, just a lot of different uh, ways that you see people interact with items around them, as well as with their fellow performers too. So uh, really happy to see Arrow featuring it, featuring it there. Okay, so let's get on a little bit um, to the film. Um, yeah, so uh, I think this film 
and Love Car Long in general is really interesting because I feel like we think of genres and we think that they tend to kind of slowly up the ante and push the extremes and things like that. And I think in general, in genre, that is something that you do find things might start to explore comedy. Martial arts certainly did that too. Um, but it's interesting because Jung Jer comes relatively early in kind of like the martial arts, um, if we're to use just big genre terms, uh, genre. And he really pushed the ante on kind of the violence um, early on. And so the violent stuff happened pretty early in martial arts stuff where we're having this one against like 70 or 80 people, um, like something like the boxer from Shantung, which came eight years before this film, so almost a decade before. And Lao Kai Long is interesting because he didn't really push the envelope in the same way. He really kind of refined the genre and in, in my opinion, kind of extended the heyday of it. If it wasn't for him starting to direct films, I do wonder a bit about how long Shaw Brothers would have lasted. Um, Chong Chur's career really went down, um, kind of starting from about this period and Lau Kar Long's career really went up and he was one of the last remaining directors uh, making films at Shaw Brothers uh, when it did uh, eventually kind of shut its doors in 1985-1986. And I do think this is also the first film that we are talking about on the podcast um, that kind of is not really made in Zhang Zhe's image uh, in terms of how the plot is set up or even just a Shaw Brothers film in general. Uh, if we think back to Executioners from Shaolin and the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, the opening 20 minutes of both of those films is very much kind of from that uh, standard uh, Shaolin playbook where we have the oppressive Manchurians uh, kind of uh, wreaking havoc on uh, Southerners. And in some ways, it's a little bit um, ind undistinguishable, uh, both uh, the Lao Kar Long films, uh, how they open versus the, the other Shaolin cycle films that uh, Zhang Zhe was doing at the same time. This film is interesting because it doesn't really follow that format at all. In fact, one of our two lead characters, uh, not uh, the Gordon Liu character, plays a good Manchurian. And if you have seen any of these Shaw Brothers films, if you see a Manchurian, there is a 99% uh, chance that they are going to be an evil, bad character. And this, this plot, to be clear, certainly does have its share of Manchurians acting poorly and being bad. But Gordon Liu's character is one of the protagonists. He's one of the people we are rooting for throughout the film. And he is a good guy uh, who basically wants to enjoy, uh, enjoy the nice things in life, like wine, uh, art. Um, and it's his, uh, one of his brothers is basically trying to assassinate him. Again, this is not a film that's super heavy on the plotting or anything like that, but it's worth noting uh, that he kind of had that sophistication. And he did perhaps a very similar thing in Heroes of the East, where, uh, you know, up until that point, the Japanese and Chinese films were uh, almost caricatures of just being like these terrible human beings. Um, and so Heroes of the East, while I wouldn't say it's necessarily pro-Japanese, it's a little bit more of a uh, fair representation, um, and they're presented closer to equals than um, just about any of his contemporaries. And so, uh, I mean, Lao Kar Long at this time, everything he had done up to this point, this is a year after the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, had been successful. So I think you can see him gradually getting more confidence, but also more power within the Shaw Studios to kind of choose uh, who he wants to work with and choose his own projects. And so I think you can see him kind of coming into his own. Um, and he likes to keep his plots, uh, in my experience, to be fairly simple. Uh, they're not overly complicated. There's nothing over 
there's they're not over explained like a lot of american films need to be or, or they feel they need to be and so he really likes to keep it light um and so while this film certainly does have a plot i feel like the plot more lightly guides us from a uh, different fight to different fight Another thing that you'll notice about this film too is the primary language, the language spoken in the film is actually Cantonese. The first two films we talked about, Executioners from Shaolin and The 36th Chamber of Shaolin were in Mandarin. Um, why is this in Cantonese? Well, I mean, most of the cast and the crew uh, spoke Cantonese, but Shaw Brothers was a Mandarin studio. And so they uh, were started basically by these brothers from Shanghai. A lot of their talents were from the North or from Shanghai. And so... Um, as a result, uh, most of their films were in Mandarin for a very long time, but Lao Kar Lung at this point has accumulated enough cachet that he is allowed to direct uh, the film in Cantonese. And I think, I'm not sure if 100%, but very close to 100% of his films after, at this point, start to become uh, all in Cantonese too. So kind of like I talked about how this film is of an inversal of the 36 Chambers of Shaolin, it's lower in the training. And while there is some training in here, um, it's explored a lot less um, than his other films. Um, and there is also some of kind of like the martial arts philosophy sprinkled in here. In fact, we have one line where Gordon Liu's character says that um, the martial arts should be used kind of virtuously. Um, but it's really not a central theme in this film that it is in a number of other Lao Kar Lung films. The next film we'll be talking about, Martial Club, that is explored um, in some of his own personal philosophies on those things in a lot more detail. For me, at least, I, I see this film as like uh, a look at what I can do and just a showcase for uh, some of the amazing different things that um, he can choreograph and do. Uh, okay, so let's get a little bit more into this. We're going to talk a lot less about the themes and things like that in this film and more on kind of the choreography and the fighting here. So the first half of this film, the fights are basically kind of these deceptive fights. This film is filled to the brim with characters just all pretending to be something that they're not, including our title character, Dirty He, who pretends to be kind of a man of wealth, but he's really just kind of a common thief. Um, and uh, and so he's pretending to be kind of uh, more of a bougie guy, a guy with money. And Gordon Liu's character, who we get introduced to also at the very beginning in the scene in a brothel, um, is set up to be uh, this uh, kind of playboy merchant from the north. But in reality, he's um, kind of in the line of succession. He's like, I believe, the 11th prince, something like that. So he's a, uh, a Manchurian official, uh, a Manchurian prince coming down here. And supposedly this is actually based off of a real life figure. I don't think this is a real life figure, but kind of the circumstances inspired it, uh, who uh, was in the uh, in Beijing where the capital is and like to sneak off and go to different areas and kind of just explore and and things like that. So based off of that, uh, that kind of um, person who I did not jot the name down. But anyways, there is a lot of deception here. Uh, just about everyone pretends to be someone they're not. So a lot of the fights, everyone's like, uh, oh, we're being friendly. But in reality, it's kind of trying to secretly kill each other in this film. So as a result, the violence, even though it is um, certainly violent, if you think about it, where we have multiple people dying in these kind of secret battles, it's all under this guise of like respectability and oh we're just looking at paintings we're just tasting wine um so that stuff is very interesting and i think very innovative uh innovative for uh lao Kar Lung too um 
and it does remind me just a touch of Dragon Inn. I think they're presented and the contexts are very, very different for those films. Dragon Inn is much more kind of like, um, let's get a bunch of people in the same location and try to figure it out. Here, I think we very clearly can tell who is good and who's bad. It's just kind of um, carried out in sort of this deceptive way. So as a result, um, it, because we have this kind of inherent constraint of people not willing to reveal their identity, um, specifically Goran Liu and the assassins that are sent from the north um, to get him, um, everything is kind of, uh, it has to be portrayed a little differently. So instead of uh, just having a straight, let's go to a field and fight, we're set up in like these great little sets. Some of it's in brothels, but we're but where we're having kind of other people, uh, where Gordon Liu is using someone like Kara Hui or using different tools like these plant boxes or these antiques to basically fight each other. Uh, the first couple are in the brothel, which is really, really colorful. I really like how it's shot. Um, and that's something that the Shaw brothers are going to bring to the table. They're just these amazing sets. Um, I really like how it's filmed as well. Um, we have some great panning shots and things like that that go through it. And it really makes me think that Lau Kar Long was certainly above uh, above the, uh, quite a bit few of his peers in terms of um, the craftsmen that were working on this. This film was shot by Arthur Wong, uh, who is one of the most acclaimed Hong Kong cinematographers of all time, still very young in this film, and Peter Nor Chi Kwan, um, who he would go on to work with with a number of films too. I don't know very much about him, but um, he's uh, the cinematography and the way stuff is shot is certainly very, very central uh, to this film. So the first part, we have... Um, a lot of those concealed things. Maybe the most notable one here features Kara Hui, uh, who uh, Gordon Liu basically says his is his bodyguard. I don't think this is the first film she did with Lao, but it's early on. So she doesn't really, um, at least overtly, fight in the film. She fights through Gordon Liu, basically controlling her, sort of like a puppet. And he's trying to conceal from uh, He, uh, who is our titular character, that he is fighting and so he's using he's like knocking over boxes um and he's using uh Kara Hui to kind of like um uh to help fight and it's very very creative and I think it's shown very very well one interesting thing though is it is cut quite a bit more than you'll see Lao Kar Long cut in for instance later fight scenes in this film or his fights in general in other films um, but one thing, uh, one term that David Boardwell has used to describe kind of Hong Kong cinema in general, and I think is a great word to describe how they like to show the action, is legible. Everything is very clearly spelled out. You can see how they are moving. You understand what's going on. Um, so even though we have this kind of deceptive fighting going on, us as the audience are always very, very clear. We're clear kind of what the movements are. And of course, being a martial arts choreographer and martial arts master himself, those things matter immensely uh, to someone like Lau Kar Long. So they are cut quite a bit more, but the shots are planned and the way it's shot, I think um, really, really does suit the material very well. Um, if you compare it to something, in my opinion, that's uh, 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 un uh, not legible, uh, other than my handwriting, which is awful and not legible. Um, something like the Bourne films are probably the worst examples of that, where it's cut so much and you do really get a visceral reaction from it, but you don't get much more than that. Uh, the stuntmen uh, probably are are, are are getting beat up uh, <laughs> a lot and stuff, but it's cut up so much that it's hard to tell what the hell is going on. Um, and it is more just kind of giving you this uh, visceral experience rather than anything uh, beyond that. 
So uh, I think even in the times when Lau Kar Long is cutting, and he can cut quite a bit, and especially in some of these early scenes, I think it's all done in a way that, uh, you know, makes sense, and we understand the different movements and things like that. Um, yeah, so a couple more of these other fights um, occur with um, Gordon Liu's character versus Wang Long Wai and Xiao Ho. This one's a wine tasting. And these guys are kind of brought in as sort of like the mid-level bosses, the assassins that come in. And these guys are both just great performers. Um, they are repeated uh, performers in Lao Kar Long films. They're in almost all of his films, um, especially Xiao Ho. And it's great to just have his lead from another film that came out this year, Mad Monkey Kung Fu, show up for five minutes and do these incredible acts incredibly acrobatic feats uh paired with wing long Wai, who is like classic shaw brothers villain uh who is the classic uh evil manchurian if you were to tell me evil shaw brothers manchurian who could it be but wing long Wai? so uh you have those guys coming up um and have this great scene i think it's in the brothel anyways it's in a brothel like place where they're uh they're basically trying to kill him uh gordon Liu's character with wine um uh, with all these different contraptions, things like that. And of course, Gordon Liu's character does win, but it's an amazing fight. Um, we have a very similar one with Wilson Tong. The difference in this one too is uh, the different booby traps that he has. And so the booby traps do eventually wound Gordon Liu's character. And this introduces kind of the next set of constraints that kind of dominate the second half of the film is that Gordon Liu's character is now injured. So how does he fight here um, when, he, uh, when he can't... Uh, can't move uh his leg is injured um and so we basically have him uh training Wang Yue to sort of fight in his place and to help him get to the capital Beijing um so that's basically the second half of the film is after all those assassination attempts he needs to get back to the capital but he's injured and he knows that whoever is sending people to go kill him is going to continue to do that. So he needs to get back and he needs to rely on Wang Yue. So this, um, and Tony Raines talks a lot about this on the great supplemental feature on the Arrow Blu-ray, but uh, the dependency swaps be between them. Who relies on who? Because up until this point, Wang Yue ends up being a little bit reliant on Gorin Liu's character, mainly because Gorin Liu can fight much better than him and ends up kind of poisoning him with a weapon that Kara Hui uses. And so he slowly gives him some of the antidote. So Wang Yue basically needs to stick with him. We're never really told why he does this, what are the exact motivations for it, um, but it, it's pretty much unimportant to the film. And so, I mean, I personally, I don't think it's wise to uh, to uh, linger too much on those details. Um, it's, it's a loose end, I guess, technically, but it personally does not bother me at all. So yeah, we basically have these two swapping roles where Wang Yue is helping to nurse Gordon Liu back to health, and Gordon Liu is also um, helping to teach Wang Yue to be a much better fighter. And so we have that kind of master-student relationship coming uh, coming out here too, where we get the very brief training scenes that we get here. And then we kind of get to, in my opinion, sort of the low point of the film, where we have the seven agonies that come out and attack. And Cantonese comedy, um, comedy of this time, can certainly be hit or miss. Uh, in my opinion, this is the low of the film. Um, it's not awful. It's more or less just kind of weird uh, to see. Um, but we basically have these seven uh, fighters trying to... Um, there, there's a word for Gordon Liu's head. Um, and so they're trying to basically capture him. And we have this very wacky sequence that happens um, before we kind of move into the next 
part of the section. And it's a low point partially because so much of the rest of this film is so good. So it doesn't take um, a terrible scene to necessarily be the worst, but I think everything that surrounds it is significantly more interesting and better uh, than the Seven Agonies fight. So eventually he needs to get back to the capital. And so in my opinion, we are treated to two of the absolute best uh, Shaw Brothers fights here. Um, and my two favorite of the film, uh, perhaps my favorite, and I go back and forth on these, is where we have the set where he needs to get back to Beijing. And so he's in a wheelchair uh, that Wang Yue needs to push a long way, uh, all the way back. Um, and so it reminds me a little bit of the Japanese series, Lone Wolf and Cub. I do wonder if that was a little bit of an inspiration. And we have this scene where I think they're traveling through the mountains. But anyways, it is incredibly windy. Um, it reminds me uh, of Japanese film, Kurosawa films, just in the sense that the elements can become extremely overbearing. Think the rain, the wind, and things like that. Um, and uh, so we're going through the mountains, and we know this is where we're going to run into assassination attempts. Up until this point, we have Gordon Liu sort of getting all the supplies and trying to become very prepared. The problem is, is he's stuck in a wheelchair still, so he is uh, he is injured. Um, and so they need to fight uh, off this big band of assassins that comes after them. And it's just incredibly well choreographed. One thing that um, I think is sort of interesting um, to compare this versus something like the Crippled Avengers um, is oftentimes in films when you have uh, sort of people fighting, the easiest way to fight is to always have people kind of break off so it's like, oh, I'm going to fight these guys over here. You you go fight those guys over there. And that's, I would say, nine times out of ten how it's done. But because of the constraints that uh, Lao Kuan Long is putting on this, the fact that he's injured, you cannot leave him alone. Or Well, you could, I guess, in theory, but you'd have to really significantly cut around that. But he creates this constraint where they need to fight together in order to to um, basically make it through this main challenge. So we have weapons passed back and forth. We have blocks, we have dodges, we have things like that. I think it's absolutely awesome to watch. Uh, the camera captures it really well. It's obviously a set and things like that. It's obviously not a real location, but it moves and it pans. And I think the set's really, really nice. Um, and I think this, uh, yeah, again, this is definitely one of my personal favorites uh, here. The end of the fight is kind of camp bizarrely with this scene where one of the people trying to assassinate him, I believe it's Mongolian, with um, some sort of a cape. Uh, but Gordon Liu managed, and uh, Wang Yue managed to fight them off. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then the final fight, which could be my favorite too. It's one of these two, is a 2v3, um, where, we have, uh, where we have Wang Yue and Gordon Liu facing off against none other than Lo Lia and a couple of his uh, uh, people serving him. And they're basically the last line of defense to block Gordon Liu from getting into uh, the capital. And uh, in this fight, Wang uh, Lo Lia is using a weapon called the Guan Dao. And this is a, I, I didn't know that much about it, but I did a little bit of research on this and it's an extremely heavy weapon, which for me at least helps to appreciate uh, the fight. And it's usually not even used to fight, but more as just like a test of strength. And so we have uh, Lo Lia with his two henchmen basically fighting against them using this incredibly heavy weapon. Um, and at first Wang Yue needs to fight 
uh, kind of on its own, but Gordon Liu eventually gets involved. And so we have this incredible back and forth where people are weaving in and out of the battle. Weapons are being passed back and forth, not just between Gordon Liu and and uh, Wang Yue, but also Lolia and his goons. And so we have um, just, it's so intricate and it's so well-designed that I, I absolutely love it. It's, it's definitely one of the most uh, kind of awe-inspiring uh, feeling that I'm going to get, uh, certainly from a 1970s martial arts film. And so, um, yeah, talking about this, I, I'm pretty sure that this is my favorite. Um, it even has a really nice musical cue at the end, which is definitely a little um, uh, anachronistic, a little bit out of place, uh, out of out of time rather. Uh, but I think it works really well. Where the fight, they, it's at the point where they start to fight downhill, and you can tell they're going to win. Um, so it's just uh, some great moments of elation, and and it's not from it being extreme people jumping off a huge building or anything like that. Even though I do love that, uh, it's from the refinement and just how well it's performed. So I think. Um, these last two fights are all-timers in my view and really, really fantastic. So yeah, hopefully this was interesting enough rather than me just saying that these fights were really good, but the fights are so good and um, I, I think it really is kind of Lao Karlong at the peak of his powers uh, just coordinating uh, these incredible fights. And he was really famous for having um, kind of so many moves, um, 50, 60, 70 moves and people having to know them all. And I think you can really see that um, probably best of all in this last fight too. So these performers uh, are really able to do these different movements and you can tell too from the way that it's shot. While we still cut plenty, uh, it's it, the pace of the cuts is a lot less than what we're uh, doing when we have um, kind of the uh, shadow fighting that's going on. At this point, these last two fights, we are fighting more or less openly. Um, it's just, um, but by adding these additional constraints and twists to them, um, it adds this extra layer. And I think, for me at least, I, I have no idea if this is true, I see this uh, last fight in particular as sort of the answer to the finale of Crippled Avengers, which is a great finale, and we have multiple people fighting. But I, I see it as Lao Karn Long seeing like, oh, these are what the Venoms can do. Look at what I can do. We're going to have not people siphoned off and just two guys fighting together versus one or anything like that. We're going to have a 2v3 where one of the guys is injured and we're going to be passing these weapons back and forth, back and forth. And I think it's a lot less guilty of the, we're just going to jump around and not really try to hit each other thing that the crippled Avengers, as much as I love it, occasionally is uh, guilty of uh, at the end there. So there is just a ton of different interaction, not just from people fighting against each other, but from people fighting with each other. It's the one that makes fighting seem uh, way more like a team game, um, than just about 99% of the other fights that you're going to run into. So really, really love that. Um, yeah, this is, um, Gordon Liu is great in this film. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Lao Kar Long absolutely knows how to use him. It's a role that's certainly less known than his kind of shaved head uh, Shaolin monk role, but I think he is um, almost as good uh, in this role. It's not as much of a personal growth story, so he's asked to do uh, a bit more in some of those other films. But uh, in terms of just like the physical choreography and stuff like that, I think this is uh, clearly a lot more intricate than something like the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. And I think this is probably uh, Wang Yue's finest hour. I, I don't know if he ever got it better than this. Even though he shares the lead with Gordon Liu here, he's really good. And, uh, you know, uh, he does get unsung a bit um, as far as the different leading men. He's certainly overshadowed by Gordon Liu, but even by Xiao Ho to some extent, uh, who would kind of, uh, I think, take... 
I would say more important roles from this period on. But he's just really, really good compared with Gordon Liu, and they have good chemistry just in their acting, but certainly of their fight choreography too, which uh, probably for Lao Kar Long is just as important. Um, yeah, so I, I think if you're to discuss where it's the best choreography, this should certainly be in the conversation, uh, not just of the era, but perhaps uh, ever. Um, it's just so intricately designed, so complex, and so well-performed um, that, um, yeah, I love it. So, you know, if you want to watch a Lao Kar Long film strictly for its um, uh, choreography, I, I think this one is probably the best. That being said, if you want to watch something that's more of the complete picture, I, I would definitely start with something else. But uh, for me, at least, this is definitely amongst uh, kind of the Mount Rushmore of Lao Kar Long films of like his best four. Um, so I absolutely love this film. Um, it's not quite my favorite Lao Kar Long film. That's Eight Diagram Pole Fighter still, but it's very, very close. And it's one that, uh, you know, I've loved ever since I've seen it uh, 14 years ago. Okay, so thank you everyone for tuning in. I uh, hope you all enjoyed this episode. Uh, please email me at zafilmtofilm at gmail.com or you can tweet at me at zafilmtofilm. Thanks for listening.